Is it true that God still blesses those who bless Israel? And does that pertain to the Jewish people today? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Do you know there's a big difference between the message of prosperity and the message of generosity? Do you know that there are beautiful, wonderful scriptural truths about reciprocity, about reaping what we sow, about God responding to generosity with his own generosity? We're going to talk about that. We're going to encourage you today because this is relevant. Whoever we are, whatever our life setting is, this is relevant. So we're going to encourage you today. A little while into the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my colleague, Scott Volk, and we're going to talk about principles of generosity. I I want to tell you what I've witnessed with my own eyes with Scott's life and ministry for many years now. And then, uh, I mean, amazing stuff he'll share with us. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. I'll be joined by Scott, and we'll talk specifically about how this relates to Israel, but we're going to talk about the broader subject. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast, 866 Three for Truth. This is Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, if you're listening on radio, you wouldn't know this, but I'm going to make a confession. For all those on YouTube, Facebook, watching at other times, I'm going to make a confession. This really nice shirt here, it's um, it's wrinkled. It's a little, little bit wrinkled. I just noticed that in the mirror before. So don't fixate on that. Don't fixate on the wrinkled shirt. Listen to the message, all right? So don't, don't get distracted. And those on radio are like, what? what? Don't worry about it. But I just want to be candid and then tell you don't focus on that, all right? You said I didn't even notice. Uh, okay, well, now we move on. All right, tell you what, tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Before Scott joins me in studio, before he comes in and joins me, I want to take advantage of some extra time that we have. So here's where I'm going to start. If you'd like to ask me a question of any kind on any subject, I want to weave in some calls, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884. Any subject under the sun, anything of interest to you where you think I can be of help, anything you want to question or dispute that we've talked about on the air. So if you want to probe a question that's come up in your local church, in your own Bible study, like we do on Friday, you've got questions, we've got answers, Go ahead, let's do that today, 866-34-TRUTH. Also, everybody watching on YouTube, and I'm looking at my YouTube screen now, all right? Everyone watching on YouTube, if you have a question you'd like me to answer, post it in the next few minutes in the YouTube chat, and I'll see if I can get to some of those questions as well, all right? So go ahead, post your questions. If you can call, that's great, 866-34-TRUTH. And on Friday's broadcast, so you don't feel left out on Facebook, I'm going to be answering questions that are being posted right now on Facebook. We posted a few minutes ago saying post within the next hour. I'm going to grab a bunch of those from Facebook and a bunch of those from Twitter. And then we're going to answer those on the air on Friday. So we're going to do a lot of responses to social media. Um, Okay, here's a question. Tell you what, before I, I wanted to share some scripture with you. But I'm going to answer a question here. Uh, Just scroll back up there. A question from Landa. 
uh, how do I feel about women becoming pastors and the mass influx of women in ministry leadership? If you'll go to AskDrBrown.org and just type in women, just type that in, uh, you'll see some teaching we've done on women as pastors. I believe that God can use women in many ways just as he uses men, in the gifts of the Spirit, in, in winning the lost, in preaching the gospel. In, in so many different ways, women can be mightily used, and in some ways, women are much more powerful than men. Often, women have stronger prayer lives. So God has purposes for everyone in the body. And I do believe that he has raised up and used women as pastors, but I see the primary order that God has established, the normal order, is that governmental headship is male. And what's interesting is that we've surveyed women in our ministry school, so they're there because they feel called. They're there because they have a burden to be doing ministry work. And overwhelmingly, as we've surveyed them and said, do you want to be the buck stops person? Say you're married. Do you want to be the buck stops person that the final pressure comes on you, that the final solution you're going to have to come up with, that if there's sickness in the home or financial crisis, that it's going to fall on you and you've got to be the one to hold this together and take everything to God. How many of you want to be the buck stops person? Almost none of them raised their hand. I asked the men the same question. Almost all of them, virtually all of them, raised their hand. It's the way God wired us. It's not to say God can't raise up a Deborah, but I do not see that as the primary divinely established order. That being said, I'm thrilled that women are doing all kinds of ministry effectively and to the honor of the Lord. Okay, let me just take you over Romans 11, and then I'm going to go to the phones, all right? I just want to show you something interesting in Romans 11. I've seen this for a long time, but while reading through Romans 11 again yesterday, just while reading through Scripture, I was struck by this, the debate about what does Paul mean when he says, so all Israel will be saved in Romans eleven twenty six, and when he says all Israel, does he mean the entire nation? And it's quite clear to me from many passages, the use of all Israel in the Old Testament and then the argument culminating with 11.25 and 11.26 in Romans, where it's clear that the Israel that is hardened is the Israel that will be saved, so that there'll be a national turning of the lost sheep of the house of Israel at the end of the age. All right? But let's do this. Let's work backwards. Verse 29, 28, 27, 26. All right? Ready to do that with me? We're going to start in 11.29. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. So he's explaining why certain principles hold, because God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. In fact, I'm going to read 26 to 29, and then I'm going to do it backwards, and then we're going to the phones. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the liberator will come from Zion, or the Redeemer. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the good news, they are hostile for your sake, but concerning chosenness, they are loved on account of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So let's go backwards. Who are the they in verse 28? Who are the they who are hostile now to the gospel? Hostile for your sake, but concerning chosenness, they are loved on account of the fathers. That's the nation as a whole, right? Non-believing Israel, hostile to the gospel for your sake, but loved on account of the fathers. Who is the they? National Israel. Now back up to verse 27. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Is that talking about the believers? No, no, non-believing Jewish people. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then you go back now to verse 26. And this way all Israel will be saved as it is written. 
the deliverer shall come out of Zion. He shall turn away God, ungodliness from Jacob. Is the church in Jacob? No. So Jacob, them, there, those who are hostile to the gospel, it's, it's Jewish people who don't believe. And those are the ones that Paul is saying at the end of the age, there will be a national turning. 866-34-TRUTH. And let's go to David in Durham. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, good afternoon, Dr. Thank you. Thank you so much for making yourself available. I have a question for you. Is As we start to witness to people, you know, one of the biggest fears I get, and, and I think many people do, is when people ask the question, how do I know your Christian God is the true one God? And then that usually rolls over into, how do we know the Bible's true? Yeah. So, so what, what is a good answer for that that, that, that would satisfy uh, a non-believer uh, who has a lot of doubts? Yeah, great question. So the God of the Bible claims to be the only true God, right? Right, correct. Okay, and in the beginning he creates everything, so it claims that he's the creator of all things, that everything else is created. That's one. Now, that doesn't mean it's true, just this is what the Bible says. Right. Then God, so how do we know that's true? How do we know these traditions and accounts? Well, God demonstrated this at, in the eyes of the people of Egypt, which was one of the great empires and nations of the day. And when God brought the ten plagues and when God did what he did, he brought judgment on the gods of Egypt. He showed that he had mastery over all nature. He was the only true God and mastery over all the other gods. So you tell someone, according to the Bible... In the past, in Egypt, the Exodus, which they've heard about, the splitting the sea, God showed that he was more powerful than nature, and he was more powerful than the gods of Egypt. So he demonstrated he's the only true God. Then he sent Jesus into the world in accordance with prophecies that talked about his coming. And he worked all these miracles through Jesus and then raised Jesus from the dead. And he continues to save lives today. You say, well, how do I know any of that's true? You say, simple. Call on God to show you the truth about Jesus. It's that simple. If, in fact, what's written in the Bible is true, that when you call on that God, the God of the Bible, to reveal the truth about Jesus, if you're sincere, he'll do it. And when he does it, that confirms that he's the only true God. And then what we see, for example, in mass rallies in Africa where some of my friends have preached, that witch doctors come and radical Muslims come and others come and they're putting curses on the meetings and they're speaking against the meetings and instead they end up getting healed, they end up getting saved, and Jesus demonstrates that he's alive today. So that's the logic. The Bible makes this claim and God backs the claim by those who call out on the name of Jesus. And if someone says, I, I would do it, but I don't know that it's true, then say, all right, Say, God, if you are the one true God, you know I'm sincere. This is not a game. Show me the truth about Jesus, and I'll follow you. And that's, that's not only intellectually sound, it's experientially and sound as well, so that someone can know for themselves. Does that make sense? That makes great sense, yeah. Thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciate that, because it is a question you get, and it's, all, it's one that I've always kind of feared, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Well, we, trust me, we all have questions that, that we kind of fear being asked. But, you know, the other, the other thing is, you know, always say, that's a great question. When someone asks it, say, let me check on that. That's a great question. Rather than 
trying to put up a you know smoke screen or come up with a cheap right. answer. It's always a good thing to say, you know, it's great to ask questions. The Bible really encourages us to ask questions. So I love the question. And um, I, you know, I got some friends or a website where I can get an answer for you. Let me get back to you on it and, and encourage that. But the, the other thing to realize is this is why everything was judged by Sinai. In other words, when God spoke from the mountain and said, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt. So Israel knew our God, the one that we heard about, created the universe and all this we heard from our forefathers. He really is the one true God. So any prophet that comes along later and tries to nullify that or change that is to be rejected because that's where God showed the whole world that he's the one true God. That's why Jesus comes to fulfill, not to abolish. Right, we're going to come back. I'm going to answer some YouTube questions, take some more calls, and then be joined by Scott Volk. Don't go anywhere. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, looking, looking at a note in the YouTube chat, it says Romans eleven twenty six has to be read in the context of, of Romans 9, 6. No, 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 no. Romans 9, 6 needs to be read in the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11 in full. Because in Romans 9, 6, Paul is explaining that God's word didn't fail, that not all Israel is Israel. In other words, God made promises to the whole nation, but only a remnant within the nation received it. And that is what's been happening through history, that only the remnant believed the 7,000, people like Paul in his day. All right. But as you keep reading, Paul continues to talk about it. Every time he says Israel, from Romans after Romans 9, 6, there are 10, 10 usages. Every single time he says Israel, he's talking about the nation as a whole, the nation as a whole, the nation as a whole, the nation as a whole. And then explicitly, He's calling Israel Jacob. He's speaking of Israel in sin. He's saying to Israel, it's hard, and that's the Israel that'll be saved. So that Romans 9, 6, quoting that and not keep, not continuing to read will get you in big, big scriptural trouble with massive misunderstanding. 866-34-TRUTH. I'm going to grab some more YouTube questions, and let's see. Let's go to Sandy. All right, we won't go to Sandy. We'll go to Desmond in Anderson, South Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, how you doing, Dr. Brown? Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I had a quick question. Um, Jesus says that um, he commanded his disciples that they go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost. But um, Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Which one should uh, we do? Yeah, so the formula that was given and repeated outside of the New Testament is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are the words that are said. In the book of Acts, there are several different expressions. If you're reading it in Greek, it's being baptized in the name of Jesus or into the name of Jesus or upon the name of Jesus. And what it's most likely speaking of is either calling on Jesus to save while being baptized, or we are being baptized into him. Remember Romans 6, that we, are, we died with him in baptism and we rise in newness of life. So we're baptized into Jesus. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
we are baptized into Jesus. We are baptized calling on Jesus to save us from our sins. But the formula that's used, that's then repeated by early leaders, like the disciples of the apostles writing outside the New Testament, they speak about being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One thing, Desmond, interestingly enough, my pastor, when he baptized me February 4th of 1972 as a new believer, his his custom was to say, in the name of the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, because he, he figured he'd do them both together. Combine them. <laughs> yeah, which I, I've never had a problem with, you know, because Jesus is the Son. But uh, that's that's the best answer to that question. Don't let anyone ever put you in bondage and say, if they said name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then then that's not a real baptism, and, and, and you had to use the name of Jesus specifically. Ignore that if anyone throws that at you, okay? I appreciate that. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Yeah, you're very welcome. God bless you, brother. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, Jerry, is it true that the seat seat had knots that would tell everything about the person wearing it? No, you know, honestly, Jerry, I've never heard that question before in my life. No, 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 no. The the knots were not there originally. A traditional Jew would say they are. This is something that that has been developed over time with tradition, but they symbolize the 613 commandments. They So on the fringes, the ritual fringes that a traditional Jew will wear to this day, they symbolize the 613 commandments. They're not 613 knots, but there are quite a few. There's the story told about a rabbi who brings some clothes into the to the uh, dry cleaner, Chinese dry cleaner, and uh, comes back to pick things up on the designated day, and the dry cleaner says, uh, I got everything done for you except for that prayer shawl. That's got the tzitzit, the fringes on the end. He goes, oh, okay. Uh, when can I come back? I come back tomorrow. He comes back tomorrow. He says, you know, actually, rabbi, I need one more day. Really? Yeah, he comes back one more day. And rabbi said, what took so long? He said, it took forever to get all those knots out. So anyway, just a little Jewish joke there. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, let's try Sandy in Greensboro. Let's try you again. Hello. <laughs> hey there. The call dropped right before you picked up for me. <laughs> All right, well, here we are. All right, well, my name is Sandy. Uh, we had a Bible study last night, and this uh, lady was up there, and she said that she had uh, seen this video, and it was of a, a man in Georgia that had a Bible. He had had it for 17 years. And he said it mysteriously, mysteriously started seeping oil. It was a clear oil. Um, we watched part of the video, and I thought, good gracious. And he, he seemed just as straight up and honest as could be, was not put on at all, and was so sincere. And I thought, well, who am I to doubt this? Because it, it's possible. You know, with God, anything is possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we went on, and... He's, and they were asking him questions, and they said, well, fine, have you had this oil checked out? And he said, as a matter of fact, I did. He said, we took it to some chemical lab, and they were analyzing it. They came back shaking their heads. They said, we we, we can't find anything like it. There's nothing mm-hmm. like it. It has no odor. Um, it, it reminds you of mineral oil, but it has no odor. There's nothing we can actually tie it to. So they, they didn't know. I'm, my question is, you know, how much of this to believe, because who am I to doubt God? Anything right, so, is possible with him. All right, so so let me first say this. Even if it's all true, the question is, and? Meaning, if it's all true, does it change the meaning of a passage in the Bible? No. Does it tell us that that anything about God we didn't know? No. Does it make Jesus more real to us? No. In other words, all that's true either way. 
Is it impossible? Of course it's not impossible. And I, I have friends of mine, straight up as could be also, tell me they never believed any of this either, and they were praying for people, the next thing oil was dripping from their hands. I've had wow. friends of mine, I mean, reliable, solid people. I never heard them talk about it. In other words, it just came up in private. They said, I never believed this. You know, someone right. telling me we were, we were in this one woman's home in Jerusalem, and, and I thought she was a little far out spiritually. We were praying for rain and for a sign. The next thing, it started raining inside the house from the, from the ceiling, and there's no rain outside and no leak. And, and he said, I never believed this stuff. But either, either way, if this happens and it brings with it a sense of God's nearness or a sign of some kind, wonderful. But it doesn't add anything. In other words, when you have this thing like in, in certain Catholic or Orthodox circles and they'll say there's an image of Mary and she's weeping and all that, I just look at that as deception personally, you know, because it's pointing in a wrong direction and it's glorifying Mary. And the worst thing is, you know, people line up and they come from all over to see it. So if this becomes a phenomenon, yeah. right, and now everyone wants to come and see the, you know, the, the Bible bleeding oil, now it's just like a sideshow. But could it happen? Of course it could happen. And uh, I've, I've got... She, yeah, go ahead. Well, she did emphasize very strongly. She said, and she had a little vial of oil. She didn't have to pay for it. They just sent it. She said that the little container, he finally tried to clean the Bible off, put it in a Ziploc bag. Well, that thing filled up. And then he said, Dad, gum. He put it in a big old plastic tub. That filled up. He said, yeah. I don't know where it's coming from. And she said, but I don't want you to believe at all that it's the power is in the oil. It is, it, it's in the Spirit of God, not in the oil. So if you are anointed with this, don't think it's the oil doing it, because it, it might be wholly produced oil, but it's not holy oil. Right. Well, even, even in and James 5, that. Jacob 5, where, where you, you lay hands on the sick, and you pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. It's it's the prayer offered in faith in Jesus' name that brings healing, not the oil. The oil is symbolic. But look, you have an instance in First Kings 17 of an abundance of oil, and, and that's used for certain purposes. So the last thing I'm going to do is say it couldn't happen or it won't happen, but for sure, if it happens, all right, praise the Lord and go on with normal business. And and, uh, and 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 if it keeps happening, all right, then use the oil for the glory of God, but go on with normal business. The Bible is true. Jesus is Lord, and he calls us to, to reach others. I would never make that the emphasis. And I'm not saying these folks are, but I would never ever, if, if all the Bibles were dripping oil, it, that would never be the emphasis. We'd just say, what a sign of God's presence. Let's you know get on our faces and worship him with awe, and we go on with our lives. Hey, thank you for the question. 866-34-TRUTH. And I'm going to have, some of these are, are Jewish-related questions, so we're going to join in with Scott on the other side of the break. Um, on Facebook, how many laws in addition to the Ten Commandments did God give Moses, and how many did man compose throughout the years? Uh, well, the traditional Jewish count, which is an accurate count, I mean, there, you can debate a few laws and repetition, is normally 613 is what we understand to be the number of total laws in the Torah, that God gave through Moses. But how many have been added since then by way of tradition in Judaism? Oh, thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know that those have been counted. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Um, <clears throat> let's just see here. Any other que Anything on YouTube I can grab quickly, guys. I'm just looking at my, my YouTube feed there. Uh, anything I can grab there, because just got a few seconds before our break, 
uh, what would I say to an Orthodox Jewish neighbor who says the New Covenant cannot be written on the hearts of the followers of Christ because they do not keep the Torah perfectly? I would tell him, number one, our hearts have been supernaturally transformed, that we've gone from hating to loving, we've gone to addictions, to the flesh, to, to liberty and freedom, that we really are transformed people, that we have the power to forgive. But I'd also point out that this covenant is different than the Sinai covenant. When God says he'll write his Torah, his teaching on our hearts, it's understood that there are going to be changes in that teaching. For example, if God forgives us and remembers our sins no more, do we need the Day of Atonement? If nobody is dying, do we need rites and rituals having to do with people dying and things like that? So it's a new and better covenant. Not only so, not only so, but we are also in a transition age. The Messiah has begun his mission but not completed it, so we are not yet fully experiencing the blessings of the new covenant, but we have the first fruits. We have the deposit. All right, we'll be right back, joined by none other than Scott Volk. With your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, America, other nations, have been uh, infested with a carnal prosperity message. A message that says Jesus died to make you rich. A message that says that you can gauge spirituality by what kind of car you drive. A message that has not only wrought havoc on America but has hurt other nations, has even affected whole continents in negative ways. And when Pastor John MacArthur was critiquing the charismatic movement as a whole, this is one of the major issues he raised. And in him raising that, I agreed with him on that. I massively differed with his estimate as to how widespread it was, but I agree it has certainly hurt many, many lives. At the same time... There is a poverty mentality that if you have anything, you're in sin, that you measure your spirituality by how bad a car you drive. So the prosperity folks measure your spirituality by how nice the car is. And the other folks measure the, so your spirituality by how bad your car is. And what's happened with the prosperity message, it's, it's swung too far, but there's a wonderful truth in it, which is that God calls us to be generous and that as we give, he gives. And that if he can trust us that the more he gives, the more we give, there's now a flow of supernatural life and all things become possible. And now the gospel can be funded and the poor can be helped and and so many things can be done through the generosity of God's people and that flow of life. I want to talk about that today and then specifically in the context of Israel. And uh, we've got some callers on hold. Stay there. I want to get to some more calls as well, but I'm joined in the studio by my longtime friend and colleague, Scott Volk. And Scott, amazingly, we're in August now, and our next trip to Israel, February 1st through 10th. So February 1st through 10th, friends, we're going to Israel. Again, we still have some room on, on, the, uh, on the tour, but time is of the essence. We'll, we'll tell you more about that in a moment, a real life-changing tour. But, but Scott, as long as I've known you, you've had the mentality of giving, giving, and feeling that those that don't give, churches that don't give, 
that they're missing out on a blessing. Explain the way you think. Yeah, the way I was raised was not to think about how much we can receive, but really how much we can give. When we lived in community, when we shared life together with other people, the motivation of our life wasn't how much we could suck out of other people, but Lord, what have you given us that we can share with others, whether it be car, whether it be a food, whether it be food, whether it be our time. So I, I really give so much, um, so much of who I am today uh, credit to my parents because they really taught us that way. And one thing that I've seen in churches and in believers as I've grown up is so many times we make the ministry about what can we get? How does this affect us? Even when we walk into church, how can this church building and the things that go on here today bless me? Rather than thinking about, I'm in this church, what can I do to be a blessing to these people? So I believe, bro, that the more that we give, it's in the Bible, give and it will be given to you. Our motivation for giving is not so that we can receive, but the fruit of our giving is that we receive exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. It's, it's, it's a remarkable truth that so many people miss out on because they think they can't afford to give. I say you can't afford not to give. Mm. And look, I've been an eyewitness these, these many years now. Uh, I'm thinking back to when we were in the Philippines together, and we were at a hotel, and a lot of our missionaries were visiting us there. So I don't know, 15, 17 people, and uh, it's time to, to, uh, to finish the meal, and we're all ready to divvy it up and pay or, and find out, no, it's already been paid for. <laughs> of course, Scott was there, already paid for it. I'm thinking, but you don't, you don't have extra money. And I've watched you do this for years. I've I've watched you come into a room with uh, with with two two uh, drinks in your hand, you know, juice or soda or water, because you know you're getting one for yourself and one for me. And you see someone else that just came in the room and say, "Hey," you give it to them and think that was yours. That was yours. So I've just watched it. Little things, having people in your home. What what's the maximum people you ever hosted in your house at, at one time? <laughs> one time a tour bus pulled up. We actually had 45 people staying in our house. They were they were literally <laughs> underneath our dining room table in sleeping bags spread out on the floor during the days when we lived in Pensacola together. It was remarkable and wonderful. I would not trade those days for, uh, for anything. The, the one image I remember from that was one of the young guys that was staying there, a teenager, had been so overwhelmingly touched by revival that he was sitting there having cereal yes. and, and weeping into the cereal. Yeah, tears, tears dropping off of his face right into his cereal. He could hardly talk. All right, so let's talk about what happened with giving. Since God called you to bless Israel and to give with generosity to help the poor in Israel, Messianic believers, others, those that don't believe in Jesus, Yeshua, but needy children. And there are a lot of needs in Israel. There, there, there are a lot of poor in Israel. There is a, a lot of economic pressure. You go to some parts of Israel, think everybody's just prospering, but there are a lot of challenges. Let's just go through the chronology of what you've seen happen with multiplication the more you've given. Yeah, first of all, I have to say this. If we are waiting to have abundance before we give, we're waiting, waiting for the wrong thing. Uh, personally, I don't have a lot of money. I've never made a lot of money. My salary's never been... Um, extraordinary, and many times I actually since was we were working. the one paying you much, I can verify. I, sometimes there was no salary, so I can it, verify that. So, bro, it was 2005. I walked into an underprivileged children's center in Israel, and I was reminded of the verse through tears when I looked at these poor kids, where Jesus says, "In as much as you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me." That's where he talks about separating the sheep from the goats, and and giving to the hungry, and and clothing the naked, and visiting those who are sick. 
And I knew at that point I was supposed to do something with the little that I had where Israel was concerned. We started our nonprofit ministry. And anytime I went over to Israel, I was carrying funds from those who gave plus my own funds to give to the kids. That was in 2005. We were giving hundreds. Maybe we'd cross a thousand dollars a year. I thought I was doing the greatest thing in the world. And then in 2010, I was flying back from Israel. The Lord touched my heart where Israel was concerned. And I knew I needed to do this full time. 2012, I stepped down as the lead pastor of fire in that year devoting 100% of my interests to giving to Israel, we distributed $18,000 of of finances. That was exciting. To the poor and needy. Not only was it exciting, I thought, how in the world can we replicate this? That that was my prayer. It was like, Lord, please, if I could do this next year, I'll have a thriving ministry. And the next year, it basically doubled. It was about thirty-five dollars or $36,000. The year after that, it was $80,000. Bro, it's basically doubled. And this doubled. is not what, just what came in. This is what you're giving away. This year. is what we're giving away, but we were giving away almost everything that came in because we didn't need that much to survive. It was amazing. So, uh, Mike, we're on, we're on a path to give away a million dollars this year. Last year, we gave away $450,000. Halfway through this year, we were at $500,000 in our giving and dispersing of funds to Israel-related <laughs> ministries. It's crazy. That's like a dream, man. It's, it's, it's a dream. So here's what I say. What are your fundraising tricks? Tell me my, the fundraising tricks. Well, my fundraising tricks are I don't know anything about fundraising. I, I say that the best way... To raise funds is not to ask for money. I mean, we can ask. I ask all the time for people when I'm traveling. If you want to stand with us, this is how you can give. But, bro, my motivation for relating to people is not to get in their pocketbooks. My motivation for relating to people is to share what God's doing in Israel and in my life and see how I can be a blessing to them. And as I've done that, Mike, all I can say is God has extraordinarily abundantly blessed. It's not wrong to send out a newsletter. It's not wrong to advertise. It's not wrong to put return envelopes. And I don't have the staff to do those things. So all I can say is that God is blessing our act of giving by giving back to us beyond what we could ever give. And and do you think that it's not only an issue of God smiling on generosity and you're helping the poor, which is always dear to God's heart. Do a study of it, how God feels about caring for the poor. I'm always smitten and convicted as I, as I read these things in, in a good way, you know, God challenging me in a, in a good way. But Scott, do you think it's, it's not simply that you're caring for the poor and helping the needy in Israel, but that it's also in Israel, that it's, it's something to do with blessing Israel? I absolutely think that. I do believe that there are ministries that are raised up to bless the poor in Africa, and God's going to bless them as they give. But specifically, when you think about Israel, there's no other nation or people that God promises to bless when you bless them as blessing Israel. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is so, so clear, so abundantly clear, where God says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. When God says, I will you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. If God says I'm going to do something, He's never not going to do this. So when God says I will bless those who bless Israel, that means that if you look to be a blessing to Israel, that God is going to bless you without question, because God does not lie. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't go back on His promises. He's faithful to a thousand generations. So yes, Israel is a nation 
that God promises that when you bless them, you will be blessed. And it's, it's throughout scripture. It's amazing. I was just looking at Acts 10. You've got, an, you've got a man named Cornelius who was not a Jew. And it's, the Bible says that he prayed and he gave. He was a man that feared God. He prayed and he gave. And an angel shows up. And he says, your prayers and your giving have ascended like a memorial to God. So it wasn't just his praying for Israel, his prayers and his giving. And then later, Peter shows up at Cornelius's house, which was unlawful. (laughs) Peter looks at Cornelius and says, you know, it's unlawful for me to be here, but God brought me here. And the angel tells Peter the same thing. Cornelius's prayers and his giving have ascended like a memorial to God. And what does God do to Cornelius and his house, a Gentile? He pours out his spirit. And the Jewish people that were there were amazed. It said, God poured out his spirit even to the Gentiles down in verse 45 or 46 of Acts chapter 10. Remarkable. So here's a man who gave, not looking for anything in return, and God gives exceedingly abundantly beyond all Cornelius could ask or think. And the gospel goes to the nations. So yes, when you give to Israel and when you look to be a blessing to Israel, Buckle your seatbelt. God's Mm. about to bless you. And friends, what's interesting is that Balaam repeats that in Numbers 24 under inspiration of the Spirit, speaking of the nation as a whole. So it wasn't just Abraham himself or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The the nation as a whole, that that God blesses those who bless Israel. And it's all grace, you see. It's it's not Israel's good works. Is it your good works that get the blessing all the time, or is it God's grace and mercy? It's awesome. Same with Israel. It's, It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And it's just something about recognizing God's eternal purposes and his faithfulness. Despite the world hating Israel and despite the failings of the Jewish people, this is a testimony of God's grace in a tangible way. All right, listen, we come back, we're going to give you a personal invitation to join us in Israel, tell you why it's going to be so special. We're not asking for money offerings now. We want to encourage you to join us in Israel. Then I'm going to answer some relevant questions on the subject right here when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, I, I appreciate some of you have been holding for quite a while. I'm going to go to the phones momentarily on the line of fire. But first, Scott, let's let's do a personal invitation. You brought how many hundreds of people on Israel? Oh, it's probably close to a thousand. Yeah, uh, and 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 I brought uh, well maybe a hundred something. You know, because I haven't been a big guy doing tours, but people are so impacted going to Israel. It's mind boggling. I mean, it's just something happens when you're there and you go to places where biblical history unfolded and where it's going to unfold in the future and you walk in the same places and you, something just happens. Yeah. And and because when I'm there, though, I'm frustrated just being on a tour bus and things. So my thing is, okay, I'll go to certain key places or baptism at the River Jordan or, you know, teach about what happened at Mount Carmel and what's going to happen in the future at Armageddon yeah. and, you know. But then at night, I want to minister to folks or have them come do radio with me. So our tour, February 1st through 10th, still time to get in, but now is the time to get your deposit. It's called Holy Fire in the Holy Land. 
because by day you'll have tour. We've got an extra tour guide. You get Scott Volk. Then you got special teaching for me in different places. Then every night I'm going to do Q and A with you guys one night or another night. We have worship and preaching. Another night you can come do radio with me and sit down on the show. So it's going to be amazing. The trip of a lifetime, February 1st through 10th. Go to askdrbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org, and sign up today. Scott, anything you want to add to that? All I, all I can say is now's the time to sign up. If you're thinking about coming, if you've prayed about going to Israel, this is the trip to come on. First of all, February 1st through 10th is such a great time in Israel because it's not sweltering heat. Ah. The, 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 the climate's going to be absolutely and completely beautiful. Our time in the Galilee, boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, walking through the synagogue itself where uh, the, where Jesus ministered, the actual synagogue, the foundations of which are still there, the Mount of Beatitudes. It's amazing. It always blows me away that we're on a boat on the Sea of Galilee looking out at the very skyline that Yeshua looked at 2,000 years ago. So it's, it's remarkable. So friends, I really want to encourage you, don't delay. Now is the time. We really have to make some very, very important decisions based on how many people are signed up for the trip as to as to when to close this off. So if you're thinking about doing it, go on to Ask Dr. Brown and uh, and sign up. All the information can be found on the landing page. It's going to be a great trip, and I can't wait for it. Oh, one last thing, just to let you know. Uh, we have massive reach by God's grace. We, we speak to millions every week, but these Israel tours are intimate. I mean, we may have 55 people. We're, we're not going to have three or 400. So some, that's great. They have three or 400 or 1,000 come on their tours. Our small, intimate tour. Yeah. We'll fill one bus, okay? And we have, you know, so this is the time to sign up, all right? You don't want to miss the opportunity because we don't know when we're going to do it next. And the intimacy part also, bro, is just hanging out with you every night. We're not running from place to place. It's going to be a nice, relaxed tour. It's going to be great. But I think the thing that I heard most from the people is sitting down to dinner with you, talking one-on-one with you at a table, listening to you speak, answering questions, being at the ra- at the live radio um, recording. I just, I believe... It's a trip of a lifetime, and it's going to be great. Awesome. All right, so askdrbrown.org. Go there. Sign up. Yeah, do it. Do it. And you may be a little tight on money. If you feel to do it, God will provide as he has for others. Uh, Let me take a couple of calls that relate to what we've been talking about. Uh, Eric in Boston, thank you so much for holding, and welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, uh, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I I just wanted to say the preference to question that I, I agree with you guys. I interact with, uh, as you guys do, with Christians of different perspectives, and I just wanted to sort of ask you a question that I get asked sometimes, and yeah. what, what your responses are. Um, so in terms of blessing Israel, uh, they, they ask sometimes, like, well, what exactly does that entail? Like, if, say if you were to fund, uh, like, a, like, a liberal party in Israel or some, you know, counter-missionary organization, so you're financially blessing them, financially blessing Israel, but is God going to recognize that blessing and bless you back? Or, or how would you answer yeah. what the specific confinement is of, you know, how to bless Israel? God recognizes that and, yeah. you know, blesses you back. Eric, I, I, I love the question. That's one reason that God raised up Scott's ministry together for Israel. There are others that have raised a lot of money for Israel, but they never, never get into the hands of Jewish believers, the funds that are raised. And some or given, say, to a, an Orthodox day school that's going to teach children Jewish tradition. It may be a fine school, but it's, there's going to be all the more reason they won't believe in Jesus studying there. So 
Uh, I believe if we give with a sincere heart, even if we have been misinformed, that God will still bless the sincerity of our heart, right? But ideally, you want to actually bless Israel. So if let's say you're going to give to some radical leftist party that wants to tear the nation apart. That's not blessing. But if you say, hey, I know there are poor people there. I know there are new refugees that need help. I know there are Messianic Jewish congregational planters that are struggling. I know that there are handicapped kids that need better attention. I, so in other words, you want to do your best to give intelligently so that it does actually bless Israel and, and you, you don't find out. Look, I, I heard years back that uh, Japanese uh, Christians raised a large amount of money to bless Messianic Jews in Israel, and they got misinformed, and it ended up in the hands of Orthodox Jews. And, and the Messianic Jews were shocked because they had worked with them to help fund some major works, and it got into other hands. So let's give intelligently. Friends, give. Go through Together for Israel. If you want to give, that's a great place. And so little overhead, so much just going straight in, straight in, straight in to bless and meet needs. And then you actually go and see tangibly with your own eyes what your giving's done. Thank you, Eric, for the question. Uh, Scott, real quick, I want to grab uh, some more calls. But you've, you've actually, God TV has worked with Together for Israel. And you've actually met with Orthodox Jewish mayors of cities and Orthodox Jewish rabbis and said Christians have given this money to help rebuild this broken-down, run-down, uh, needy children's home or, or, or facility. What kind of responses do you get? Yeah, it's phenomenal. God TV has partnered with me on two particular uh, playgrounds. We're at, we actually have two more in the ground right now, and it's phenomenal. But these Orthodox Jewish mayors and rabbis from cities, one of whom kissed both of my cheeks and said, you have no idea what you're doing for the children of this community. And uh, I know, Mike, you and I were together actually in Beit Shan when the Orthodox uh, yeah. rabbi of the city came over. Yeah. Now, if, if I said Mike Brown, the Messianic Jew is here, and Scott Volk, a Jewish believer in Jesus, I don't think he would have come to greet us. But because we were reaching out to be a blessing to the poor and needy in that city, yeah. his arms were wide open to us. So, you know, the, one of the callers said, how can you bless Israel? I believe that blessing Israel is exactly what you said, but we have to remember that Paul's motivation for blessing in Romans 15 1527 was the believers in Israel, the saints in Jerusalem. He collected offerings for the believers. If we excuse me, if we bypass the believers, we're bypassing God's intention yeah. for blessing Israel. And by the way, when you go on a tour to Israel, that also blesses Israel in a larger right. way. Just Absolutely. helps with the larger infrastructure and economy. Uh, let's see if we have another call in a New Mexico set. All right. Let's go to Emily near Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi. Um, I just had a question. My sister and I were talking this morning about the tribulation and the rapture and all. So this is kind of off your subject, but you did say to ask any questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, we opened the phones <laughs> earlier, and you okay. hung around. Yeah. Post-trip rapture um, because of what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-four twenty-nine that immediately after the tribulation he's going to gather. Exactly. One. But in Daniel chapter twelve, she was showing me that um, it looks like it might be before. It says uh, twelve one. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. I think that's the tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And then it mm -hmm. says, 
and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that almost sounds like you're going to go, before, it says at that time. You know, right, right. So. End of that yeah, exactly. Great, great question. And you'll be glad to know that Professor Craig Keener and I have a book coming out in March called Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulational Rapture. So that book coming out, Craig is a New Testament scholar. My focus has been Old Testament, but we have a lot of overlap in what we write. And it's written on a popular level for everyone to understand. Yeah, so Matthew 24 is quite explicit in terms of after the tribulation of, of those times. And Second Thessalonians 1 is quite explicit that when Jesus comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God, that that's when uh, our salvation will come. So that's, that's what it's saying. There's going to be a time of tremendous tribulation and that we, or the, I should say, those whose names are written in the book of life will be delivered. In other words, they won't be destroyed. They, when, when the Messiah comes to destroy the wicked, they won't be destroyed. And God also says, if you look at the, the end of, of uh, Isaiah, the 25th chapter, 26th chapter, it talks about going into our, the inner chamber and hiding until the wrath passes by. God can deliver you without taking you out. He delivered the children of Israel when the ten plagues were poured out. Uh, they were not poured out in the land of Goshen. They were right there, but they were protected by God. So there's going to be protection for God's people in the midst of tribulation, and then final deliverance. That's what Paul writes about Romans eleven twenty six. All Israel will be saved. Hey, friends, thanks for posting questions on YouTube, calling in. And again, Scott and I really want to encourage you, February 1st through 10th, if you've been thinking about it, trust me, no hype. Now really is the time to go for it, get your deposit in, and without a doubt, You'll come back thrilled that you went. Talk to you again tomorrow on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We're pretty Jewish today as well.